If you don't think it's okay for you to make extra money doing what you do, what you care about, what you're passionate about, and what you're good at, then feel okay about giving some of it away. But there's nothing wrong with being fairly compensated for something that you provide that you're good at. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. One of the things we sign up for when we enter the path of medicine is a lifelong commitment to continual learning. It's one of the benefits of the job if you have an inquiring mind, and it gives us the opportunity to allow our practice to guide us into new areas of interest. Some of you listening might even be surprised at how your practice has led you into some areas of service and practice that you not have been able to conceive of even just a couple of few years ago. So often when it comes to learning, we focus on what we don't have and want to acquire. And certainly, early in our career, that makes a lot of sense. But as time goes on, I've noticed that there's another process, one that I'm going to call unlearning. We see this all the time in nature. The grapevines that need to be pruned back, the plants that grow stronger when you call out the smaller, weaker ones. And the way that I noticed last summer's tomatoes produced better when they were trimmed back a little bit. You can see this too in the way that flowering plants, they'll produce new buds when you trim off the old faded blossoms. It's essential at times to empty our cup, to unlearn something that at one time took us forward, but now holds us back. To let go of ideas or concepts that at one time gave us a kind of scaffolding to understanding, but it now impedes a more fluid way of knowing. But emptying the cup will leave you frighteningly vulnerable, especially if you've developed a solid sense of confidence, especially after you've gotten used to being the expert, the one, you know, the one with the answers, the one who knows. Let's face it. People come to us because they're looking for a solution and they expect us to provide it. I don't know about you, but this yin side of the learning process, it leaves me empty and it leaves me antsy. I love that quote about beginner's mind in the empty teacup, but actually living into the liminal space, that takes some strength of spirit that I'm often lacking. It's hard to open to the vulnerability of not knowing, and it's frightening to consider that what I thought I knew might be reliable only in holding me back. Most of us are happy to add another certificate or more initials after our name as a way to show others and ourselves that we, air quotes here, have something. But engaging the other side, the side of unacquiring, to let go of something comfortably known, that is another kettle of fish. And you don't get certificates or extra initials after your name either. For myself, I've relied on my logic and my rational senses, and it's brought me a long way too, and it's helpful in navigating in the light, but it's not so helpful in the dark. It won't take me far when dealing with emotion or the kind of sensing that's non-rational. Medicine, especially as we see it here in our modern age, it's an enterprise of the rational and objective, and yet, you probably know this from your work, there are moments when something else comes through. And it gives you a whole new insight into a patient's condition. And while you can draw a rational explanation after the fact, you don't travel a logical flowchart in getting to your diagnosis. Being able to see both the parts and the gestalt of the whole, it requires both the head and heart. And for me, 
it's required, and it continues to ask of me to unlearn what I thought was possible and to unlearn what I thought was impossible. It's a side of the learning process we aren't usually exposed to in school. And shredding into unlearning certain lessons that we got in our family, that will really turn up the heat on your discomfort. But in the end, I suspect it's worth it to empty the cup. In a moment, we're going to get into a conversation about accounting and bookkeeping. Sound boring? Well, if you've ever screwed up your accounting system, you'll know it's far from boring. In fact, it's an experience of fear, frustration, and tons of anxiety, and I'm not keen on those feelings, and so happy to avoid them if I can. And so, for me, an accounting system that works and does not add to the complexity of my life, that is a beautiful thing. In this episode, we're going to learn how to avoid those kinds of pitfalls, which by itself, I think would be worth an hour of your time. But beyond keeping yourself out of accounting hell, we touch on the positive aspects of being an entrepreneur and some assorted issues that a lot of small business people have around money. Some changes coming here in the new year. It is a pleasure to be able to bring you in these podcast conversations that take us deeper into the inquiry and the practice of our medicine. Many of you have written and expressed gratitude and wondered how I've got the time to do this. That's a good question. It did begin as a labor of love, and my appreciation for our medicine is one of the fuels that keeps me at it. And at this point, I also rely on the help of others to keep it going. Those of you who help to support the podcast with a membership, really, I can't do this without you. You have my appreciation, and I hope the gratitude of everyone else who listens to the podcast as well. And as it's my job to attend to the sustainability of the podcast in much the same way that you look after your clinic, in September, the rates went up for new members. And in January, the automatic recurring monthly and yearly subscriptions, those are also going to increase slightly. The monthly recurring membership will go up to $8, and the annual memberships go to $80. There's also some additional benefits. The annual memberships now come with one complimentary podcast course that will get you some NCCAOM PDA credits. And all the levels of membership get you access to exclusive Part 2 conversations, pre-releases, and other discussions that take you deeper into an aspect of our medicine that you might not have known much about. There's also the discussion forums where you can talk about any of the podcasts, and also you can go deeper into the Sa'am acupuncture. As ever, thank you so much for your support at Geological. Your memberships matter, and they make this show possible. Linger is one of those upper-class medicinals in our Materia Medica. It used to be reserved for royalty, but it's now readily available on the open market. I have one of our sponsors, Sky Chilton from Real Mushrooms here, to tell you a little bit more. Why is reishi known as the mushroom for longevity? Hi there, I'm Sky Chilton, founder of Real Mushrooms. I've learned a lot about mushrooms since I founded the company five years ago. In many cultures, mushrooms are considered to be nourishing to the spirit. Reishi, or lingzhi in Chinese, may be translated as immortal mushroom, or as we like to think of it, the mushroom for longevity. So what makes reishi the mushroom for longevity? More on this later in the show. Real mushrooms, pure and simple. Visit realmushrooms.com slash chi for a special offer. Thanks to Lhasa OMS for their support of the podcast. 
Geological shows up in your podcast feed in part due to the longtime support from LASA. LASA OMS helps to foster and support our acupuncture community by bringing you online resources like Geological that help East Asian medicine practitioners to share their clinical experience and to learn from each other. Since 1979, LASA OMS, the largest acupuncture supplier in the U.S., has brought you the very best in supplies from top brands such as Sarin, DBC, Evergreen, and Mayway. Fair prices, attentive customer service, and an unrivaled selection on supplies makes them a great go-to for your acupuncture clinic. Sign up for LASA's mailing list so you can get notices on their flash sales. They run all kinds of specials on everything acupuncture-related that you'll need for your clinic. LASA OMS, supporting your practice and our profession with resources and knowledge. All right, friends, I'm delighted to share this conversation with you here on accounting. Seriously, I think you're going to love it. Friends, welcome back to Geological. I have Beverly Hacker with me. Hacker, isn't that a great last name? You know, if you need someone to fix something on a computer, you might want to get someone with a name like Hacker. Actually, that's what I did. I was having some problems with my QuickBooks. I thought I could do it myself. And over the course of years, I created this monstrosity of a hairball with my QuickBooks and my accounting. And when I needed to get it sorted out, I, I went to the internet, asked Uncle Google, and uh, Bev is in my neighborhood. And with a name like Hacker, I thought, well, you know, she's probably a good one to start with. So, Bev, welcome here to Geological. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're not an acupuncturist. You're an... I'm not. No, I'm an accountant, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And, And folks, that's why I've got Bev here with me today, because you know I've got a real passion for what I call the practice of practice. It's what most of y'all's would call business and marketing and taking care of uh, things in the clinic. And money, oh my God, did you just get a little freaked out hearing that word money? Money is often a big thing for us acupuncturists. And so I thought I'd have Bev come on the podcast today because it's so helpful to be able to understand first principles of things. And it's so helpful to be able to, if you understand the basics, you can take care of so many things. And more importantly, keep yourself out of trouble. Indeed. And you know, it's not just practitioners. I find most of my practice, in fact, all of my practice is small business. And the thing about folks that that are entrepreneurial and that go into their own small business is they have a skill set and they have a passion. And almost without exception, it's not accounting. So, you know, it's kind of um, accounting happens because you have to. Because it's part of doing business, but it's not why you go into business, and it's not why you start a practice, but it is incredibly important. And uh, one of the things that I learned along the way is if I can help a small business owner make that accounting practice as small and as meaningful as possible in their own business, that leaves them a whole lot more time to actually do what they care about. Absolutely. And and I have found, like I was saying, I had, I'm kind of a DIY sort of guy. And, and QuickBooks is a fairly easy to use program. On the surface. On the surface. Well, like <laughs> anything, right? On the surface. Oh, how hard could this be? I can tell you how hard it can become if you don't have things set up correctly. And, and that's really it. That That really is the gist of the whole thing. QuickBooks has been around since the early 80s. 
Um, it was one of the very first programs that went on back then called microcomputers. And at that point in time, it was incredibly difficult. It was really made for accountants. And over the last 40 years or so, they've realized, well, their market their, their market is in small business. That's, that's their niche. Um, and so they've tried very hard to make it palatable for the business owner at the expense of ease of use and at the expense of um, really making it something that can give you value back. And so I think over the last few years, at least uh, since I've kind of been back into it, they've kind of refocused that and said, you know what, we have this amazing platform and we can, it can really accommodate all kinds of different businesses if you set it up right on the, in the first place. And so they've really started to come to us as accountants and say, hey, you know what, why don't we teach you guys how to do this really, really well, and then help you go out and help small businesses. Because what we're finding as a, as a company is we're finding a lot of folks get it, set it up, and then they're not happy with it because they didn't have the background understanding of how to set it up right on the fir- in the first place. Right. So, you know, with so many things, I mean, we're acupuncturists, right? And people come to our offices all the time and they've tried this and they've tried that and they've done all this healthcare stuff and they've asked Dr. Google about things. You know, sometimes that's helpful, but often people can make a mess of things for themselves because they think they're doing the right thing, but they're not. I mean, we see this in our practices all the time. I had this with my accounting. I had it set up and it was basically working and then I have to add this other thing and I kind of shoehorn this thing on and duct tape this other thing on over here. And over time, those errors can really compound. And then, and then you find yourself calling someone like Bev. So one of the things I would love to dig into here today is how can people get started in the right way? How can they avoid doing what I did to myself? So here's what I find when people first get QuickBooks. QuickBooks is designed for accountants. And in, actually, let me go back. QuickBooks is designed for transactions. And so when you get QuickBooks, you need to understand what your transactions are. So for most small businesses, the transactions are sales and expenses. Well, then it gets a little more complicated because are you selling things and collecting for them later? Or are you selling things and collecting for them right then? By the same token, are you buying things and and paying for them right now? Are you paying for them later? And what happens is folks that don't have an accounting background are used to accounting for things when they get paid or when they pay for it. And that's what's called the cash basis of accounting. Right, which is really how I think about it. Is there money in my wallet? How much? Yes, no. How do I get more? Exactly. And frankly, you don't need accounting for that. You can just look in your checkbook, right? So, So... is that valuable information other than knowing if you can write the next check or not? To, what, to my way of thinking, it's really not valuable information because it's really not telling you how your business is doing. So if you typically get paid when you provide your service, but you pay your bills when you have money to pay your bills, you can get yourself in a whole lot of trouble really quickly by not keeping track of those bills as you incur them. So 
the the big mistakes I see people making when they start with QuickBooks is they take this sort of cash basis mentality and try to put it into an automated system. The other thing that I see is not understanding the terminology that's in QuickBooks. I mean, it's a foreign language. It's a completely foreign language, and it's even a foreign language for a lot of accountants because they don't necessarily use accounting language either. They're using business language, but the specific language they're using is ex- is really important in what it does with that information. As an example, if you sell something to someone, that's typically called an invoice. In QuickBooks, it's called an invoice. Well, a lot of businesses people say, I'm going to send you a bill, or I'm going to send you a statement, or you can pay me now. You know, there's, there's all of these languages in business that are not the specific language that QuickBooks uses. So, as an example, in QuickBooks, an invoice means I'm providing you a service and you're going to pay me later. As opposed to, in QuickBooks, the word sales receipt means I'm going to give you a service and you're going to pay me now. Right. I, I mean, that's how mine's set up. I have a cash-based business. I don't take insurance. I mean, insurance is a whole different kettle of fish and, and I think really begins to speak to what you're talking about with knowing where your business is by using some principles of accounting. But for me, yeah, when someone comes in, they, they, I do a service for them. I give them a, re- I mean, I do a receipt. It says receipt right in QuickBooks. That's really easy. But right, if I'm billing somebody for something, it's an invoice. It's not a bill. A bill is something I get that someone sent me an invoice. Exactly. And I need to pay them. Exactly. And then think about one of the things that you and I talked about when I came in. Um, and one of the things that I start Besides with. Besides all the screaming, gnashing <laughs> teeth. Or the, oh, I see you did it this way. <laughs> no, I think one of the things that we talked about is you do pre-bills. So, so basically you sell packages at mm. a discount and then they come back and get the service later. Right. So the way that you were tracking that ended up making it probably more complicated than it needed to be. And so by talking to you and trying to understand what it was that was important to you to know versus how QuickBooks needed to account for it, what we ended up doing was we set up some products and services to track package services separately from regular services because we knew that the the fee base was different. We wanted to see what your overall sales of uh, packages versus regular clinical visits was. And that is meaningful from a management standpoint. That was all done through products and services, which is a section of QuickBooks, which is really designed to provide management information and not accounting information. And I think if you had to say what is the very biggest mistake people make with QuickBooks, it is that they look at it only as an accounting system and they try to build all of their management information into that accounting system instead of taking advantage of the management information that is built into the system. So we really need to think on multiple levels here. We need to think about how we're managing our business and our information, and then we actually need to manage it. Exactly. Exactly. And and then the offshoot of that, if the system's set up well, 
the offshoot of that is that you are accounting for it in a way that will easily take it to your tax return or that will easily take it to financial statements if you want to go to a bank and get a loan or for whatever reason you might need financials. Maybe you've got an investor or, you know, whatever. Most small businesses, frankly, don't need financial statements. You know, they need management information, mm-hmm. right? So right. most small businesses, the only reason they need formal financial statements is banks, investors, partners. That's really the only reason that you need to to know where all the debits and credits went. Tax returns, of course, but most accountants can pull a tax return information from part of your information. So in a business, the to me, the bigger benefit of using a QuickBooks is to enable me to see how my business is doing and how am, how can I increase the profitability of my business. Because ultimately, whatever reason you went into business in the first place, if it's not making money, then you're not going to be able to stay in business. Right. I mean, the, the thing about business is, it. I mean, I often refer to this as the practice of practice. Indeed. Right? If you want to have a practice then there's all these other things that you need to do. It's, it's so often, I think it's easy. Well, let's, let's use the iceberg analogy here, the iceberg metaphor, right? I mean, the actual business you do, people come in, you treat them, you, you help them with their health. That's the tip of the iceberg. Right. Underneath that is all the study you do. Underneath that is, is all the business things that you have to do or outsource to somebody, mm-hmm. which is perfectly fine. Uh, but even if you're going to outsource it, it probably helps to understand the basic principles, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm really glad you said that because I feel pretty strongly that not everybody is made to keep track of the nuts and bolts of accounting. I mean, it's just not – if it's fun for you, then cool. I mean, I love doing it, and that's it's my passion. It's what I like to do. Most people don't. Most people have – you know, something else that they want to do. And that's why they went into business in the first place. Mm-hmm. If you're going to, you you need to have the bookkeeping in order to, to run your business. If you set it up well in the first place, and you have a good system set up, and you have a good system of uh, procedures, then you're in a position to hand that off to someone else and oversee it by looking at your management reports. If you don't have a good system to start with and you don't have good procedures that you can rely on are being followed, then you have no way of knowing if that information that you're getting is any good or not. So to me, part of my job is to teach you to understand the information you're getting so that if and when you decide that you want to pass it on to someone else, you still, you can spot when something's not right. Right. Well, and you've got something coherent that can be passed on to somebody else. Exactly. You have something that can be compared to past performance. So one of the goals of a great accounting system is you should be able to look at this year versus last year, or this year versus the budget that you set up for this year. And that's how you start to make valid management decisions is when you have the ability to say, am I headed on the path that I expected to be on? If I'm deviating from that path, is it a good deviation or do I have a problem I need to, to look at? Is it worth continuing in business? You know, there's, there's a lot of times that your accounting system is what tells you, you know, maybe it's time to do something else. Well, do something else. Or if we love doing what we're doing, figure out 
how to keep doing that but change it up. Maybe we need a different model. Maybe we need, you know, it's helpful to know where is the money coming in? Where am I spending it wisely? Where is it leaking out of the bucket? Exactly. Exactly. And I, especially in a business that has um, a lot of cash flowing through quickly. And I think a, a practice is one of those businesses where you have a lot of dollars coming in as you do it. But you, the dollars that are going out may be down the road a little ways. And so on the surface, it appears that you're doing fine because there's money in your bank. But you get a few months down the road and all of a sudden you don't have the money to pay the bills. Absolutely. So I feel like I'm super fortunate in this way because many years ago I had a sort of arts and crafts business. This is my early 20s, right? And, uh, you know, I make stuff and sell and it was really fun. I got to work with my hands. I got to have my own business. And one of the things that I noticed was... A lot of the people that I was working with, right, my other fellow craftspeople, it would come up to tax time and they would be flipping out because it's like, oh, my God, I owe all this money in taxes. I don't know where I got this idea in my mind, maybe because I grew up in a family of people that had their own businesses. But I knew that four times a year, the state is going to be asking me to pay sales tax. And so I, even though I didn't know much about business and even though my money management wasn't that great, I would always make sure that there was money set aside. It's like certain money came in. And from my point of view, it was never mine. Just because it's in my wallet, it doesn't mean it's mine. And, And it started to kind of plant a seed and help me to understand that what I see in my wallet, there may be a lot of money in my wallet at the moment, but a month from now, it's actually more than empty because of the responsibilities that I'm going to have down that road. Exactly right. And, you know, it, an interesting t- statistics is that restaurants are the number one business failure in American business. So more restaurants fail than any other kind of business. And in large part, it's exactly for that reason. It's, it's that cash it's flow the thing cash and flow not and it's recognizing the taxes, right? what your responsibilities really are. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So for I want to come at this from a couple angles. I want to talk first to the people that are maybe new to a practice. They're just getting started with things. And then later I want to talk to folks like I was about a year ago when I had something. I didn't realize what a mess I had and, and, and how you go to fix that. So for people that are just starting out, and, and let's say they want to DIY it to some degree, mm-hmm. how do you start? So my number one overriding thing is keep it simple. And the thing that I see more often than not in practices is that they have made their chart of accounts way too complex. Uh, They're trying to track too much information within the chart of accounts, and they're trying to track information that, quite frankly, there's very little they can do anything about. So as an example, um, I Almost without exception, I'll walk into a business and in the chart of accounts, they'll have... I'm going to interrupt you for just a second. Chart of accounts. accounts. (laughs) Yeah, I should probably define that, right? What does that mean? Okay. So when you set up an accounting system, the very first thing you have to do is set up a chart of accounts. And what that is, is basically the listing of the different kinds of 
revenue and expenses that your business might have. So it's a way of categorizing how money comes in and how it goes out. Okay. Okay? So a very common error that I see in the chart of accounts is there'll be an account for electric and one for gas and one for water and one for sewer and one for trash. Let me guess. We could call it utilities? You could absolutely call it utilities Mm -hmm. because, quite frankly, if any one of those gets to be too much... One, what are you going to do about it? Two, unless you are a mega business, you only have one of those a month. So at most, you have maybe six entries a month in that account. And you can easily, over the course of a year, open up that account, look at your six entries a month and say, oh, looks like trash is getting out of control. Maybe I should change companies. So the very first thing I would say is keep it simple. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, The second thing I would say is, if you're starting fresh, even if you want to DIY it, either take the time to really, really learn and understand how the system works, and there's all kinds of information out there, and in particular, understand how the products and services work. But failing that, and I know that accounting can be incredibly boring, having sat through numerous accounting classes um even though you love it even though i love it yes um spend the money on the front end and get some good advice on how to set it up because if you do that everything else gets super easy going forward um it's not that expensive to get it set up properly on the front end one of the nifty things that quickbooks has done is they've got this program called the uh, certified professionals program Mm -hmm. and that's where you googled it you can go online you can look up um your area, what specifically you're looking for, and you can see all the people in your area that have uh, that have an expertise in that. And ha- having just recertified the advanced professional exam, it's hard. I mean, if you're a professional and you can pass this exam, you have to understand accounting really well. You also have to understand QuickBooks really, really well. So go online, find that that certified professional in your area, And talk to them. And, you know, honestly, it's just like any other kind of professional. If you talk to them and you tell them what you need and what you're looking for and you listen to the questions they ask you, you can tell pretty quickly whether it's a good fit or not. Right. Well, and I have learned, and this is through, again, I'm a DIY kind of person, so I have learned the hard way, I hate to say, that if I will rely on the expertise of someone who really knows what they're doing up front, take the time, right. pay the money, see it as an investment, really. It's not an expense. It's an investment. Things are easy from that point on. They really are. Because the, the problem is like, like compound interest is really helpful when you're trying to make money. Compound problems really can muck your business up. It really can. It really can. And I think one of the other things when you're interviewing a professional, my approach is I want to teach you to be as independent as you want to be. Um, And I, you know, over many, many years in the accounting profession, the unfortunate thing is there's a fair amount of accountants out there that want to make you dependent upon them. And I think that's, I personally think that's a bad business model. May work for them. It doesn't work for me. Um, if you want to be a DIY person, look for that accountant that understands the concept of let me make it the way you want to use it, and then let me help you use it. And ultimately, I may work myself out of a job, or frankly, 
you may come back to me because you want to expand what you're doing, or you may refer me to other people because you like that approach. It's the approach I've chosen. If if you want to be a DIY person, you want to look for a professional that's that's using that approach. It's a really good thing to ask somebody in the beginning. I know that when I was first looking for people to help me with this, first of all, I was looking for somebody who worked with small businesses. I didn't want someone who worked with big businesses. I, I was not looking for the expert in real estate. I was looking for you know small business and entrepreneurs to help me with that. And you know, it's interesting to hear you talk about that there are accountants they want to make you dependent on them. I think we see this in the acupuncture world as well. There are practitioners that want to sign you up for a maintenance program. I want to see you once or twice a month forever. And then there's a practitioners that are like, let's get a piece of work done. Call me when you need me. So it's, exactly. I mean, it's interesting to see that across the professions, there are similar ways that people approach things. I think you're right. And, and I think as a business person, you make that decision. If mm. if what you want is you want someone else to do it forever, great. Just send them your information, get your tax return at the end of the year, and be done with it. Right. And there's a place for that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I think the, the one of the things that I've seen over 40 years of working with QuickBooks is that I more... I can't believe that QuickBooks has been around for <laughs> it 40 has. years. It oh has. My it, God. it was right after the spreadsheet, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, the the thing is that now it's so accessible, it's so easy to get, it's so easy to use on the surface mm-hmm. that a lot of people are jumping into it without really getting the background that you really should have before you jump into it. Yeah, that's what happened to me. Okay, so for that's for the um, new practitioner. What about those of us that have made a hairball? Out of our accounting system. It's really funny you say that because I, I always consider myself to be the expert in shoebox accounting because back in the day, that's how people would bring us their taxes was in a shoebox. I used shoeboxes <laughs> and envelopes. Exactly. So now it's like an electronic shoebox um, and it takes a, a bit of expertise to wade through that. I actually love doing that work. That is, for me, that is the most fun is to take a giant mess and turn it into some semblance of order. Uh, there's, it's, it's a, it's you kind of a, a skill and a passion. I'm a weird fun. person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think the, the thing that I love about doing that is it allows me to come into a business and say, what is it you're looking for? What do you want the end result to be? Mm-hmm. And after talking it, part of that conversation allows me to say, oh, you want to do that? Well, here's how we can do that. Or have you considered that if we modify that slightly, you could have this? And that initial conversation is so important to how you unravel the hairball. And once you figure out where it is you want to go and what your goals are and what you want to see on the back end, as well as understanding how do you put that information in on the front end, So I can handle the middle. I need to know how you do business, how much time you're going to invest in putting it in, how you want to put it in, and then what do you want to do with it when it comes out the other side? It's really an individualized thing. Completely. There there is not a one-size-fits-all here, is there? No, not at all. Not at all. Because I can stand here and say, you must put in your receipts this way. Well, if you've been doing it that way for 20 years, you're not going to change just because I said so. 
So why don't I create the system that allows you to do it your way? Let the system do what the system does, and then it comes out the way you want to see it. So what my job is, is to understand what the system wants to do. And instead of fighting with it when by sort of creating the hairball, like you said, instead of fighting with the system, let's figure out how you want to put it in, what you want to get out, and how do we make it work. And if you've already created the hairball, then how do we unravel it and get it to that point? Um, And there's a lot of tools. One of the great things that QuickBooks has is they have all these tools for accountants uh, that's in the back end that, that customers can't see that allows us to unravel hairballs a whole lot easier. I think I'm super glad those are in the background because if I knew how to get to them, I'm sure I would have made things worse. <laughs> yes, it's probably true because they can be incredibly powerful and incredibly destructive if you don't know how, how to use them. Right, yeah. Uh, this, this is going to be a super simple question, um, and it's almost a little embarrassing for me to ask, but I don't really know the difference between an accountant and a bookkeeper. I always equate the difference between accountant and a bookkeeper as the difference between an engineer and a mechanic. Mm -hmm. The engineer knows how to design it, knows how to make it happen, knows how to put all the parts together, doesn't necessarily actually ever touch it. The mechanic knows how to make it go. Mm -hmm. Maybe doesn't necessarily know that if you replace that widget with that widget, it's going to go for a while but it may not go for a long time. So I I usually, when people ask me that question, I say, well, think about it this way. The bookkeeper is going to make these things happen. Those things are going to go into your books. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to design the system. Right. They're not going to design the system. And every accounting system works great if nothing is ever out of the ordinary, if there's never a mistake, if there's never a new piece of business or a new thing that you're adding to it. If it were a static system that nothing ever bad happened to, mm-hmm. anybody could do it. But that's not how the world works. No, I mean, any dynamic system problems will arise. Exactly. And there's really, really great bookkeepers out there. And to me, the greatest bookkeepers are the ones that are tenacious, that have great attention to detail, And that when something comes up that just doesn't look right, they know who to ask. Mm -hmm. And then once they ask the question, they're good to go from there. And they'll know, you know, they'll recognize that same thing again. Accountants, by and large, are probably not great bookkeepers. We don't like to do the data entry it takes. We don't like to do the day-to-day, you know, nitty-gritty stuff. And I think there's there's a real place for folks that, really enjoy doing both. Uh, oh, I, in fact, you need both. You do. I mean, years ago, I spent some time in high tech. And I basically helped design and create and build systems mm-hmm. that would help people get their work done. I love building systems. Don't ask me to maintain that system. Exactly. Drives me crazy. It's like I built it. It works. Keeping it oiled. Yeah. Find someone else. And that's exactly how I feel. You know, I I feel exactly the same way. I love creating them. I love helping you learn them. And I'm really happy to help when something goes wrong or something new comes up. I don't want to sit here and do it. 
Hi, Sky here again. Hope you've been enjoying the conversation so far. I'm back to tell you what makes reishi the mushroom of longevity. Reishi is a precious medicinal. The ancient Chinese herbalist Shenog classified reishi as a superior herb that's safe for prolonged consumption. In addition to preventing and treating disease, this mushroom is said to help a person cultivate virtue. Today, we know reishi is a powerful adaptogen, meaning that this fantastic fungi can help the body deal more skillfully with stress. Furthermore, reishi is non-toxic and can be taken consistently over long periods of time. It can normalize both our physical and psychological health. Here's a pro tip. Quality reishi is bitter, as it's rich in triterpenes, which are beneficial antioxidants. So put your palate to work and taste nature's medicine. I founded Real Mushrooms to ensure that mushroom supplements are actually just 100% mushrooms. Pure and simple. We leave out the grain fillers so that mushrooms can work their medicine. Place a wholesale order now through December 31st and receive a free gift pack of our holiday chocolate bars featuring sustainable heirloom cacao and our five defenders mushroom formula. Chocolate and mushrooms. Functional bliss. Head over to realmushrooms.com slash chief for more on this exclusive offer. That's realmushrooms.com slash QI. All right, now let's get back to the rest of today's conversation. You're not really a bookkeeper. No, I'm not a bookkeeper. No, no, yeah. no. But you are an entrepreneur. Yep. You are an entrepreneur. I'd like to kind of pivot into that for a moment because, you know, as acupuncturists, we're entrepreneurs as well. Exactly. And even though we might not like to think about ourselves that way, even though we might have opinions about that, I mean, anyone that's in a small business and running your own show, I mean, if you don't have a bit of an entrepreneurial sense of things, it's going to be tough. It really is. So I love getting into first principles okay. on how things work. So from the point of view of a small business person, an entrepreneur yourself, how do you approach a problem that has arisen, but you don't know how to solve it? I tend to do a lot of research to find out what I don't know. Mm. That's my first step. Find out what you don't know. Yeah. That's interesting. How do you how do you come to terms? How do you assess what you don't know? That I mean that's brilliant. Knowing what you don't know. It's often a really hard thing to do. <laughs> it's really hard. Um, you know, one of the things about having been in the computer business for a really, really long time, I can think back to the early days when nobody really knew anything. You know, the, those of us that were that started in personal computers early on, there were no classes, there were no teachers. You basically learned by doing or by talking to tech support. And I learned so much by running into a problem, calling tech support, making sure that they explained to me exactly what the problem was and what the solution was. Mm -hmm. But the other side of that was I would often go so far down a rabbit hole because I didn't know if it was a problem with me not knowing or a, a problem with the system not doing what it was supposed to do. And so over a lot of years of probably spending too much time assuming that it was me instead of 
first looking to see are there known problems uh are there are there glitches that that have been identified right is is this a known bug exactly and so being having a search engine that you can do keyword searches or even phrase searches of a problem has been unbelievably productive for me so i don't go into a situation terribly far that i'm unfamiliar with before i'll say hmm i wonder if somebody else has had this problem oh that that's a yeah rely on someone else's experience exactly. if you can exactly mm-hmm. don't depend on it keep looking keep looking make sure right. make sure that same Check answer keeps coming up um but i think that to me is it has helped me be so much more efficient and effective and allowed me to serve more clients because I don't get caught in those kind of never ending. I don't know how to solve this and I'm just going to beat my head against the wall until I solve it. I beat my head against the wall for a short period of time before saying, Hmm, wonder if someone else has already beaten their head. Right. So you know where to go for help. You I have do. learned, yeah. or, I mean, you've been at it for a long time. Yeah. So you're quite familiar with where you can get access to resources. Exactly. And I have to say, there's a lot of resources in tech support out there that are really, really good. And there's a lot that are really not so good. And I am not shy at all if I run into a tech support issue that I don't feel I'm getting the right answer or I don't feel like um, they're understanding the question, I'm not shy at all about asking for the next level. Mm-hmm. And I think people should not be shy about that because... I, that, this is a really good point, which leads to this question of how do you know that you've exhausted that level and it's time to bump it up? Um, I have a pretty short fuse. <laughs> <laughs> I have a pretty short fuse for that. So I actually rely a lot on chat instead of phone support. I love chat support because I can articulate my question really well in text. And if I get answers back two or three times that make it clear to me that they didn't understand the question or that the path they're taking doesn't address the question, then I will ask for the next level. And I don't find the ability to do that for me on a phone support call in large part because I have a pretty short fuse for tech support. And I get mad before I... <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I, I'm a little bit there myself. I lately have been using chat for support as well. I'm, I'm glad you bring this up. This is one of these things. I didn't realize how much I rely on chat lately mm-hmm. and how much I like it. Here's a couple things I love about chat. Number one. If someone has an accent, I don't know it. If their English is pretty good, it will show up because they're just they're just typing it out. The other thing is, I have found so often because they're you know they're shipping support overseas and they've got these scripts that they're using. I get so tired of hearing, "Well, Mr. Michael, we're so sorry and we apologize." It's like I don't want your apology. Exactly. Stop wasting time giving me an apology. Fix the damn problem. And on chat. They might apologize once, oh, I'm sorry you're having that problem. And then it's just into the meat of the issue. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's a biggie. Um, and and the thing is, I've gotten awesome tech support from overseas tech folks. 
you know, just amazingly good support. But I've also run into to language issues. And it's difficult. I think it maybe is more difficult in a technical realm because the terminology can be difficult. And I'm not necessarily using the right terminology. Oh, man. Anytime so, we get into tech, this, I find, is one of the biggest hindrances for me is I don't know the proper terms. Right to describe what my problem is in a way that they understand it as as the tech support expert. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm really fortunate with QuickBooks, one of the one of the perks I get as a certified accountant is I get the top tier people. So I always tell clients, if you are calling tech support, first of all, you know, mm-hmm. call me first because I may know it off the top of my head mm-hmm. because I set up your system. <laughs> you know, at yeah. least for the first six months. But if you run into a really sticky problem after that Keep in mind, you're not getting the top tier people, and I am. Right. I mean, one of the things that drives me batshit crazy is they'll ask me to do all these initial things, reboot your computer, do this, do that. These are things I've already done. Right. And But I've got them at the low level. They cannot go beyond where they are without having me do it, even though I said I've done it. Right. They never believe me. Which is not a bad idea. I mean, many times we have patients in acupuncture clinics and we know they're not telling us the truth. So, you know, I, I understand that that the lower level tech support wants to make sure that the basics have been covered. But yeah, it's great to be able to go directly to the higher tiers. It is. And the other thing, when you call tech support and they tell you, hey, reboot your computer or do this or do that, ask them why. Mm. I just had a client and it was it was a potential disaster um, the client called tech support. It was a really odd problem that I'm pretty sure she didn't really explain to the tech person completely. Mm-hmm. And what the tech person ended up doing was asking her to remove herself as the admin and put, <laughs> and put herself back in under a different login wait how does that work it was it was insane it was kind of insane and and what ended up happening then is because she had deleted herself all of the customizations that were under her name bye-bye were gone and had to be recreated so if somebody says reboot your computer or delete the especially delete this Mm -hmm. um ask them why and make sure they really understand why and what it's going to affect. And and don't be surprised because somebody told you to do something that you didn't understand. It's a really good point. I have on occasion had tech support suggest something and it just it just makes no sense. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and be you know, that's there's a reason you feel that way. There's a reason that it just doesn't seem right. Right. Well, and even if you under even if you think you understand, I love the idea. Ask why anyway. Because then you learn something. Then you learn something. I mean, we, I think we do this in our practices as acupuncturists all the time. People do something, and we're kind of scratching our head thinking, <laughs> that's weird. But if we ask, well, you know, what's the idea behind that? What were you trying to accomplish? We get a whole lot more information. It helps exactly. us to understand better. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, huh, so accounting and acupuncture are not that different in some ways. No. I, you know, it's funny because I often say, had I been born in a different time, I would have been an engineer. 
because mm-hmm. I think the engineer brain and the accountant brain are really, they're just one brain. They just, we separate at birth, I think. I don't know. But yeah, I think, I think when you're talking about a profession that has analytics in it and has um, a practice that is not concrete, you know, it's, 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 uh, it changes all the time. Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. So uh, as an entrepreneur, we have the thing that we love to do. And we have this thing we have to deal with called money, mm-hmm. which is super useful tool. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But so often, for whatever reason, usually good reasons, we have issues about money. Now, being an accountant in a hairball untire, I suspect you see all kinds of issues that people have with money as part of your work. I do. And, uh, you know, it's funny because... Um, in between practicing accounting and now, I spent about 20 years running a nonprofit. And one of the things that entrepreneurs and nonprofits have in common is they have this fear of asking for money. Mm-hmm. And they need to get over it because you are providing an incredibly valuable service and people need to pay for that service. And like you said, it's an iceberg. That 20 minutes or hour that you spend with a client is the culmination of all of your education and your experience and and all the other clients that came before them. And it's not unreasonable to ask for a decent fee to do that. And I think people have a tendency to undervalue their services. They have a tendency to apologize mm-hmm. for asking for compensation for this. And they need to get over it. Um, and 20 years in the nonprofit world taught me that. It didn't, accounting school never taught me that, but 20 years in nonprofit taught me that. And I think that it's applicable to all business, but in particular service businesses, because you don't have, you don't have the ability to say, I bought this widget for this, and in order to make money, I have to sell it for that. Right. 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 So we, you're, we're not selling a product. Exactly. We're offering a service. And it's not as simple as it took this much money to make this widget. Exactly. So you mentioned that what goes into what we do when we provide a service, all the education we've done, all the experience we've already had, all the whatever self-study we've done, what else goes into it? Help, Help flesh out the picture of what we need to be considering when we're thinking about what we're actually bringing to the table. Because it's not that 20 minutes of putting the needles in. No, it's absolutely not. So you've got, you know, the physical thing that you can see, and that is your space. You know, what are you renting it for or buying it for? Uh, The equipment that you've purchased, and you're going to have to repurchase when that wears out. Um, The staff that you have that you have to pay to help service those clients. The taxes you have to pay. Um, right. And the, and the more successful you are, the more taxes you pay. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if this is still true or not, because it's been a long time since I've done this. But the general rule when I was practicing accounting was that you should be charging approximately three times whatever you're paying. So if you were paying a practitioner say $40 an hour, mm-hmm. um, and that's with fringes and taxes and everything included, you should be charging 120 an hour. Uh, I think that rule of thumb is probably still pretty good. Mm-hmm. 
Now, is that what the market will bear? Not necessarily. So when you're but thinking... But it's good to know your true cost. It's absolutely good to know your true cost. And your true cost as an entrepreneur is really hard to determine because we tend to say, well, hell, it's just my time, right? right. <laughs> it's just, I can put a little more time in. Well, time is all you have to sell. Uh, oh my God, I'm so guilty of this. Yeah, right. I mean, I think we all are. I think we all are. And the thing is, is if you think about, if you were just managing a practice and you had to pay your practitioners, what would you have to pay them to do the same service that you're providing? Or you could flip it around the other way and go, if I was working for somebody else. What would I demand to be paid? What would I demand so that I can pay my rent and pay my mortgage and feed my family and and take a vacation and put money in retirement? I mean, all these things come into the mix. They absolutely do. And, and, you know, the other thing I learned from from my nonprofit days is nonprofit is not the same as not making money. Oh, that's the big one. (laughs) (laughs) That is is absolutely the big one. But the thing that I learned is that people tend to budget their expenses, but they don't budget their revenue. Nonprofits are notorious for this. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are too. Uh, Well, you've been trying to get me to do that for a couple months now, and I keep putting it off. (laughs) Indeed. And the thing about budgeting is you should be there. Most of your expenses, you really have very little control over right? So budgeting your expenses really is nothing more than saying, what did I spend last year? What's it going to cost me this year? There's your budget. There's your budget. Right? Right. So if you want to make more money, the only thing you have to control is your revenue. So this gets a little scary, actually. I'm, I'm, we're sitting really? here having this. Yes, yeah. This is, I mean, this is really interesting. We're sitting here having this conversation. You've been trying to get me to sit down and, and, and do this budget thing. I keep coming up with excuses on why I can't right now. And this is the reason why. This is the it's reason why. It's the only why. thing you can control. It's the only thing I can control. And it's, frankly, a little terrifying thinking about, oh, this is a piece that I've got my hands on. I can do something about this. Oh, it's my responsibility exactly. to be attentive to this. And if I look at it and go, oh, not enough, what, that means I need to make a change. Here's the flip side of it. And I think this is true for many of us in the acupuncture world, probably in the nonprofit world as well. What if I make more money than I think I'm worth? Yay. <laughs> well, I mean, we're sitting here going yay. And, yay. And, That's and, awesome. Know, is it? I mean, I think a lot of times we have certain issues around, oh, if I start making this much money, if I start getting a certain kind of comfort, what does that actually mean about me? Is it okay if I'm that successful? It's absolutely okay. And frankly, if But what you... if it's not okay? What do you do if it's not okay? How do you start learning to make it okay? Well, you could give some of it to nonprofits. <laughs> I'm serious. You know, if you don't think it's okay for you to make extra money doing what you do, what you care about, what you're passionate about, and what you're good at, then feel okay about giving some of it away. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing wrong with being fairly compensated for something that you provide that you're good at. And there's nothing wrong with being compensated at a level that is comparable to what other people are doing. Honestly, if, if the market won't su- if the market will support it, then it's probably fair compensation. Absolutely. Because if you're overpricing your services, people will go somewhere else. That's right. 
And when you're talking about in a practice, how can you maximize your profit? The only thing you can do is you can increase the number of hours you work. Well, there's only a certain number of hours in the world in the in the week. You can increase your price. You can take on additional practitioners and take something off the top of what they're doing. Or you can do, you know, what you've done and and expand into other things like teaching or, or podcasting or whatever. That's really the only way you can affect your revenue. But on the other side, if you raise your prices beyond the point that the market will bear, then they're going to come down because people will leave. So it's a self-regulating process. And if you haven't gotten to the point where people are leaving because you're overpriced, then you're probably underpriced. Or if you're super busy and you've got a waiting list, maybe raise your prices. Exactly. The other thing that I learned, and I learned this really more, well, both in the accounting profession, but also the nonprofit that I that I ran was a volunteer-based situation. And uh, one of the things that we that I learned very early on is sometimes you got to fire a volunteer. Mm. And in a practice, sometimes mm-hmm. you got to fire a client. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Because there are clients that you're not doing any good for because of their own situation. They may be incredibly demanding and maybe you can never really help them because they frankly don't want to get helped. And they're taking time and energy away from people that you really can help. And so one of the things when you're looking at the profitability of your clinic is, are there people that are sucking my energy or my time that frankly, I'm not helping them because they're not helping me. And maybe it's time to say, eh, maybe you should find someone else to go to. Spot on. I think that's spot on. It's difficult. Yes. It's hard to fire anybody, I think. Whether yeah, it's an it employee, is. a contractor, a, um, a client, you know, a, a patient, a spouse, <laughs> right? I mean, whatever. It, it, it's hard to be in that position. At the same time, I'm a huge fan. I'm a little bit lazy. And so I'm a huge fan of the 80-20 rule. Absolutely. Right? 20% of the people will give you 80% of the problems. How do you get rid of 80% of your problems? You get rid of the few people that are causing them. Right. Right? Same thing with income. Often it's 20% of the people that are going to be bringing you 80% of your of your income. Mm-hmm. Right? Or like, especially in terms of referrals, there's, there's those few people that just will not stop gossiping about how great you are. It's funny you say that because one of the principles in fundraising, in, in nonprofit fundraising, is you can't just look at the person that gave you $10,000. You have to look at the folks that have consistently given you $100 a month over years, but also have brought in all their friends and neighbors. Right. You have to look at that larger cloud of people and, and look at the complete value of a customer or a donor because that's where that's where not only are you maximizing your dollars but you're increasing your dollars because chances are that $10,000 person is not telling anyone else about you because that donation was about them and so they may be saying I gave such and such charity my $10,000 but they're not going to tell you anything about the charity Whereas the person that is investing $100 a month, they have a passion for that charity and, and they want to tell everyone about it, not because they want to tell them they, they, they're giving. Often they won't tell anyone else what they're giving. They just love the work but that's being done. But they love the done. work that's being done. Yeah. 
That's a this is a, that's a super good point. So for those of us in an acupuncture practice, then probably useful to find out how did you hear about me? Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that I think a lot of practitioners don't do that would be incredibly valuable, and now the it's a pretty cheap way to go is what's called a, a client relationship system mm-hmm. or a CRM. Mm-hmm. Because what you can do is you can start to see those connections. Oh, I I fr- I use Salesforce, which is really expensive, but mm-hmm. it's just incredible. You're and an engineer. You uh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's there's other alternatives to this, but basically what it allows you to do is to make those connections. So if if Mr. Smith referred Mrs. Jones you make a connection, a referral connection. And then when you look up Mr. Smith, you can see, holy moly, that Mr. Smith has referred 50 patients. Okay. So is this something that we could use QuickBooks to do? No. It doesn't have that kind of... Uh, QuickBooks does not do it, but QuickBooks can integrate with various CRMs. There's some really great CRMs out there, like, for instance, MailChimp, which is one of my most favorite marketing tools. Yeah. They have a, they good. have a CRM built in now. They do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty sweet. There's another one called um, Copper. That's kind of the it's like the poor man's version of Salesforce. It's half the price, mm. but it does almost everything. That's they do. It does the things on the CRM side that Salesforce does. Salesforce is made for giant enterprises, right? So it's really expensive, but and complicated probably. Incredibly complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, so the CRMs are starting now to filter down to the small business level in terms of complexity and in terms of really what you need. Okay. Right? So I think that if you're in a practice and you want to grow a practice, what accounting does, and, and one of the big differences, and I always tell people this, the difference, accounting is looking at history, Mm-hmm. You can take what's in accounting and you can project into the future, but all you can really project is numbers. What a CRM does for you is it allows you to look at the future. Great. Because and see what your relationships are. And see are. what your relationships are and see how you can mine those relationships for the best possible outcome in the future. And it can guide the way you run your practice. It can guide the way you do your marketing. It can guide the way you do your website. I mean, everything is all about relationships going forward. It's about accounting in the past, but it's about relationships going forward. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I've been using MailChimp a long time. Uh, I don't know how they actually stay in business because they offer incredible free services. I mean, at a certain point, they ask for some money. But if you've got a small business and you're just starting up, it's really full featured. And right, they did start adding a CRM portion, I noticed. I'm beginning to see a trend where things that used to be separate programs or services are more and more becoming these full service kinds of things. I think there's two trends. So that's one. And I frankly was surprised to see that MailChimp added a CRM. I I was too. Um, but I think the thing, the thing that MailChimp did is they came into the market super simple and with a great sense of humor. So you could come into MailChimp and 
the humor that was behind how you learned to use it yes. was incredible. I, I, I mean, they would make fun of you. Totally. It was great. Yeah. And you could call tech support and make fun of them. Exactly. And they'd send you a t-shirt for being fun. Exactly. Yeah. So they built this incredible user base. And I think the adding the CRM was sort of a natural progression of what they were doing. Mm. Whereas the other way to do things is what a Salesforce or a QuickBooks or any number of other uh, companies have done. And that is that they realized they had built this incredible platform. And that incredible platform is really, really good at doing accounting. What it's not great at doing is specialty accounting. So if you have a real special need, you know, it was built for the mom and pop hardware store, bottom line. That's that's what QuickBooks was built for. But if you have a special need, there's other folks that can write that special need and then interface it with QuickBooks. Mm -hmm. So as an example, in the last couple months, I've set up a really robust inventory system for a manufacturer that interfaces with QuickBooks. I've set up um, a property management system that keeps track of everything from when somebody applies for their apartment to when they move out. Wow. And it interfaces with QuickBooks. So so the, the, the big trend, especially when you get into what we used to call vertical market software, instead of writing an entire system that does everything for a specific market, you just write the thing that's not accounting. And then you hook it into QuickBooks. And so the apps that are available for QuickBooks now are getting so robust and so finite in terms of how you can really hone in on the, speci on the specific thing you do. And there's an app for that. Yeah. And this, I think, is where it really helps to have somebody who understands the technological and business landscape mm -hmm. so that you can make some good decisions on what tools to use because the tools these days there's i mean there's like thousands of them it can be really tricky deciding which platform do i want to go with because once you start on a platform yeah it's hard it's to hard change. to change it's hard to change horses in midstream well and i think that's a really good point the the, the client that that I'm, I'm doing the property management for perfect example because the situation was that their accountant had tried to make QuickBooks be a property management system. And it's not. Oh, it's so mm, not. Mm -hmm. And just this massive can of worms that when I started to look at it, you know, the client says, can we fix this? And I went, well, we could, but why? Because there's these other things that do it better. And I think you're right. You you have to know what the possibilities are even to look. It's, it's going back to that research what you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love your idea here, too, that QuickBooks and accounting lets us see where we've been. Using CRM helps us understand the environment that we're in. It helps us to right. understand who are we seeing, who do they know, how are things connected. I mean, this is, I mean, I don't want to say it's like Facebook, but, you know, in the same way that Facebook or, you know, so many technological services these days they look not just at you and what you do who are you connected to how are you connected what level of connection do you have it seems like this kind of thing is filtering down to so that small business people like us can begin to take advantage of seeing how the interconnections uh, might help us in 
identifying markets and knowing who to market to and knowing who to talk to, right? For me, I want to talk to that 20% who is bringing me the most, most of my business. Exactly. Lion's share of my business. There's some really interesting research that's been done in the, uh, and it was in the medical profession where they looked at groupings of people and how things could move between different groups. And it was interesting because the research that I read was about, uh, it was about contraceptives. And they said that within this particular group that tended to be more affluent, uh, tended to be mostly white, that they had a lot of knowledge about contraceptives. And that some of the other groups, uh, people of color, people of of lower economic um, uh, status, didn't have quite as much information. And where they found the connections was where they found that the growth in knowledge was happening in these other groups was where there were connections to uh, to the first group. So what was happening was within the group, a lot of knowledge stayed within the group. But as soon as people, individuals within that group started associating with and working with people in the other group, now that knowledge started to filter out and into into the the others. And that was how that information was moving. And so if you know what those connections are, you know, whether that's people that don't know about chiropractic or people that don't know about acupuncture, that's where you want to go because that's where your growth is. Right. Right? Yes. So you go into a community that knows nothing about the service you're providing and huge market. It's a huge market. It's exactly. a huge market, right? I mean, I remember when I lived in Seattle, uh, people would ask me what I do. I tell them, they go, "Oh, acupuncture. Yeah, I, I've got a great acupuncturist." Right? I mean, lots of people already right. know about it. Now I'm here in this environment of St. Louis. People have heard about it, but not as many people have. And they used don't know, it. and they don't know anybody that has. And they, right? Well, they, they often know someone who has, but it it's a less. How do I want to say it's more a thin layer of connection? Exactly. Yeah. It's more exactly. weak connection. But I've also heard that it's the weak connections between people that often get the most results. Yes. It's a really yeah. curious phenomenon. And ultimately, if you can't track that, if you're not tracking that, you're missing out on the opportunity to get your message across those groupings into that into the groupings that may not know about you yeah, or may not know about the service you provide. That that's yeah, the market that doesn't yet know about you but should. Right. They might even be looking for you but they don't know it. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Exactly. All right. Well, Bev, any other comments that you have for us about uh, accounting or or getting our entrepreneurial thing together here before we wind it down today? I think we have covered a huge amount. We have. I'm amazed. Um, no, I just just want to say thank you for the opportunity. Um, as you can tell, I'm I'm as you said a little crazy about the accounting things, and I really enjoy doing what I do. And it's kind of nifty to be able to talk about it. Yeah, great. Well, before we sign off here, tell us a little bit about how people can get in touch with you, because one of the things I know is you live here in St. Louis, Missouri, which is super great for me because you'll come to my clinic, but I also know that we've done a lot of work remotely and that you don't have to be in someone's city to help them. Tell us a little bit about how you can help and, and right. how people so can get in touch. I specialize primarily in QuickBooks Online. Um, so what that means is I can really work with anyone anywhere. And my company is called BeanCounter.Solutions, and you can find me on the internet at Bean Counter, B-E-A-N-C-O-U-N-T-E-R, period, solutions. 
And uh, what you will find there, it's a very uh, limited website. It basically has how to get a hold of me. And also I have a course for, it's designed for nonprofit accounting, but it can be applicable really to anybody who wants to use QuickBooks. So you can find me there. You can also find me on Facebook, BeanCounter.Solutions. And if you go on the QuickBooks Certified Accountant website, you'll find me there. Great. And we'll make sure that your contact information is on the show notes page for this episode as well. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you, Beth. Okay. I'm sure that you've heard that money is the root of all evil. I don't know about that, but I do know from my personal experience over the years that in avoidant relationship with money, that'll bring all kinds of trouble and misery. Like any powerful force in nature, You want to treat it with respect if you want to harness its benefits. Talking to people like Bev reminds me that I can note the areas of my life where I have fear and then transform that into a kind of respect. Things tend to get much better after that. Hey, I'd love to get a postcard from where you listen to the podcast from. You'd be surprised at how it lights my day up. I sit here at the microphone talking into the void and it helps when out of the blue I get a postcard And I know that someone's listening and benefiting from these weekly conversations. To all you students, we are working on an audio resource for learning acupuncture points. If you're in the process of learning points or you're getting ready for an exam, this audio resource will help you become fluent with the language, function, and therapeutics of acupuncture points. If you want the heads up on when this is available, then pull out your phone and text AudioLearn, all one word, to the number 33777. That will get you onto the mailing list for early notification when this becomes available in the new year. And again, a big thank you to all you geologicians that helped to make geological a sustainable enterprise. I couldn't be doing this without you. If you find geological to be a support for you in your learning and practice of medicine, please do consider a monthly or yearly membership in addition to the satisfaction of helping to support something that you regularly find value in, there are some special benefits to the members. Details? Over on the website. You know where to go for that. That's it for today, friends. Tune in again next week for Everything Geological. Everything Geological.